Well, this is the final of a, a three-part series which began following Resurrection Sunday, which we call the holiday of Easter. And it was through the events of those holy days that, that God chose to make a new covenant, a new promise to all of mankind. And I hope you recall the new covenant is the promise that God makes with all humanity that he will forgive sin and he will restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and his death on the cross is the basis of the promise. The promise was made to you and it still stands even today. And this message series is titled Absolutely Worth It and we're looking at the new covenant from several angles. The, the first week, we looked at God's investment in us through the new covenant. We were reminded of what God does why he does it, and then we dove a little deeper into what all this revealed about God's character. The second week, we looked at our investment in God, and, is, and that's demonstrated by how we respond to him. And we identified the ways that we respond to him. We recognized why we should respond appropriately. And finally, what is revealed about our character by the way we choose to respond or not respond to all that he has done and promised to us. And both these messages are available on the Golden Beach podcast if you miss them or like a refresher. But in this third and final part of the series, we're looking at the return on investment or what's in it for us. And we're going to do this from everyone's perspective. We're going to, we're going to look at um, those who respond to God and what, what they get out of it. Those who choose not to respond to God. And even more, or even the return on investment from God's perspective. And, and I look forward to discovering some more of God's character as we talk through this using God's word as a reference. So let's begin. This morning I'm going to begin with a story. Now we know Jesus is the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, King of Kings, and only path to our salvation. So he's a big deal. And so his stories get called parables, right? And what a cool word, parables, when... My stories usually just come off as bad jokes, and they're only recognized as that. Yeah. Thank you. No, dear. Yeah. Fear not, this morning is about a parable. So it's the parable of the talents, and it can be found in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And just as a point of clarification, a talent is not an ability. Um, I mean, it is. In this case, a talent is, is Greek, and it represents 20 years of a day's laborer's wage. Okay? So out of curiosity, I kind of looked this up, and I tried to estimate what a, a talent would be worth today. So according to the annual wage order uh, from 2019 in Morgan County, this is the prevailing wage rate for a general laborer. It's $36.62 an hour, okay? Now take that times 2,080 hours a week, or a year, and take that times 20 years, and you have $1.5 million in today's numbers for what a talent would be worth. So that's a big chunk of money. Now, of course, that isn't the specific dollar amount that Jesus was referring to, but you can see that 20 years' wages was a significant amount of money, and that is what each talent is worth. So let's look at Matthew 25, parable of the talents. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five talents more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. He said, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he returned the one talent. His master said, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give to the one who has ten talents. For whoever has will, have, will be given more, and they will, be, will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why does God, or why does Jesus use parables? More importantly, what do they mean? If you were to go back to Matthew 13, you find Jesus just having shared the parable of the sower. Perhaps you remember this one. This is the, the, the sower of the seeds and how they fell on different types of soil. And that, just following that parable, his disciples approached him and said, why do you speak to people in parables? And Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that will be taken from them. Hear that again? This is why I speak them in parables. Though they've seen, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And he goes on to explain the prophecy of, of, of this message from the Old Testament. And he says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the point of the parables is that this, it's not even the hidden message, because Jesus really wants you to get it. But you have to be open to the, the meaning of the story, not hung up on what five talents is, or, or why this or that isn't fair. So let's, let's open our hearts and minds, and let's hear what the story of the talent really means. <clears throat> Dr. Tony Evans explains it this way. He says, notice that the servants didn't receive the same amounts. One received five, one received two, and one received just one talent. In other words, the servant received based on what? On their own capacity. The master didn't give any of them more than they could handle. Let me interject something here personally. We often use the, no the notion of the Lord won't give you more than you handle in reference to bad things, don't we? Right, you're going through a bad time. Well, hang in there. He's not going to give you more than the handle. That, that doesn't always make us feel good, does it? No. Um, but, but we can see that this applies to our God-given gifts, too. He won't give you more blessings than you can handle. Use them wisely. He will give them to you, and he has a purpose in that. If you've been blessed with a passion for something, whether it's to help others or to teach or to lead or to be generous... That is because God knows that you have the ability to use these things for his good purpose. 
This is referred to as your calling. Sometimes we are fortunate enough for our occupation and our calling to be the same thing. If God has wired you to be a good teacher and you're a teacher, then, then you get to use your calling and your occupation and, and you make a living. And, and you know, sometimes with generosity, because of, of your living, you, you're able to be more generous. So God works all these things together. Sometimes we're uh, fortunate enough for this to be the same, but, but more often than not, they stand on their own. Or perhaps they're even contrary to your occupation, these skills God gives you. You know, I, I want to be generous and forgiving, but my job, I have to be strict and, and this. But that doesn't define who you are. God has created you and defined who you are with these specific talents and gifts and, and the ways wired you. But anyway, the, the two servants who had been entrusted with the most went out and they, they doubled what they'd been given. But the man who received one talent went out, he dug a hole, and he hid what he had been given. Dr. Evans asserts that each Christian, which includes you, has been given three things to be a steward of. And steward is kind of a churchy word that means, you know, you're a wise manager. You're using it productively, efficiently, and, and good. But he says everybody is given three things to be responsible for. First, until Jesus returns, you've been given time. These are the days when you have an opportunity to participate in kingdom activities as they arise. Opportunities to do things for God's good work in this world. Second, you've been given talents. And these are skill talents. Okay? These are your abilities, the way that God has developed you with passions and loves and the ability to do things. From cooking to, to whatever it may be, these are all things that God put within you. And the third thing is you have treasures. And these are the financial resources. These are the, the, the things, the, the tangible things we think of. But your money, it is, God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to enjoy this world and this life. And, and your money is a part of that, but it isn't just for your enjoyment. It's also for kingdom advancement, doing and supporting God's work here on earth. But much like the servants in the parable, no two of us have the exact same time, abilities, or treasures. The Lord has distributed what we have based on his perfect will and knowledge of our capabilities. Like each individual from the parable, the question was not what or how much you have. The question is, what will you do with what you've been given? Just like when the master returns and settles accounts, one day you will stand before God to give an account of what you've done with what you've been given. And one thing to notice about the two servants, even though one had made the master an additional five talents, and the other only an additional two talents, the master gave them both the same blessing. And I love these words. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The master had given to each according to their abilities, what they could handle. They were faithful with what they had been given, and they were rewarded. These two were more concerned about their master's affairs on their own. The, the third servant was worried only about themselves. He didn't want to risk anything, and he didn't want to get in trouble, so he simply did nothing. Friends, God has invested much into you, and he has also guaranteed his investment with this new covenant. His promise of a salvation that is attainable and eternity to heaven with him where we can, as Jesus described it, share in our master's happiness. From this lesson taught by Jesus, we can learn about the return on investment that makes the new covenant absolutely worth it for both God and man. And for God, he, he gets what he wants. 
And I'm not saying that as a statement. That's what's in it for him. He gets what he wants. And he wants a relationship with you. In Romans, we read, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I love the way Paul writes. He says, you're not going to find a loophole in what I have to say. You're not going to say, God loves me, period. He's going to say, nope, it's this much and this much and this, but not that and all that. And he says, you know, you can't find a loophole. And that's the way God's love works. God desires a relationship with you, and that is guaranteed. And he gets that out of this. When, when he invests in us and we respond to him, he gets that relationship. Listen to this from Revelation. He says, Behold, the tabernacles of God is with, all, with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is a hope we have in the future. This is a promise that when, when our time on earth is done, that because of that relationship that he's invested this is what we have to look forward to. Peace. And you know what? God wants an eternity with you in heaven. It's from Exodus, all the way back to the Old Testament, the, the second book in the book, Bible. It says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, right? He made the covenant. We're responding to him. What do we get out of it? Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You will be a special treasure. That's what we heard a couple weeks ago in a message. You probably recognize this too. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would I have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus' words. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be there also. God wants an eternity with you in heaven. That's part of what he gets out of this. But he also wants you to continue Jesus' work here on earth until there is return. From 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. From Jeremiah, Greater are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct as their deeds deserve. Do you hear this? This message of... of him investing, and you reward each person according to the conduct of their deeds. And of course, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This goes right back to that statement I made about the way you're wired, your calling, your resources, your abilities and talents that God has put in you. You are God's handiwork. He has created you. And for us, we get a couple things too. We get the hope of a salvation. From Romans 5 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what God invested. This deal cost him so much. Also from Ephesians 2 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not by yourselves. For it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You have a hope of salvation because of God's grace and mercy. And the question was once asked of the disciples, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. There is a path to salvation established 
by this new covenant. And you also get grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because in Psalm, he, he says, the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake their inheritance. This is a guaranteed promise. And John, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That goes right back to the, to the statement that says, uh, part of the new covenant says, if they will just turn their heart towards me, if they will just turn their heart towards me, I will guarantee them salvation. That's the deal. That's the deal. This last thing, and I think this is really important in this time, is, is courageous faith. And those are two words we don't always put together. You know, we have faith, but a courageous faith. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in God after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. After you suffer for just a while. God never promised there won't be tough times in the world. In fact, he, he guarantees that there will be. But he says, number one, I'm with you. Number two, you're going to get through it. He says, after you suffer a little while, well, uh, you know, I will make you strong and firm and steadfast. And then the prophet Isaiah had so much to say on this. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. You've heard this before. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's words of encouragement. And they don't have to be words of encouragement during a tough time in your life. This promise is true, not just when you're struggling or suffering or, or wondering. All the time, you are in God's right hand. He also promises from his Isaiah, Do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. There is a mount of courage that comes with that. And saying, you know what? It's not my battle to fight. You know, When I surrender, when I surrender all, God goes with me. He goes before me. You know, I'm just along, I'm along for the ride. It's God's battle. I'm, I'm going to be his tool and I'm right there. And you know the other thing? You get blessings, God, from God himself directly to you. You know, Luke 6.38, and this goes right in hand with, with this parable. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken over, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be used to you. And this is often used in terms of forgiveness, but how many pieces of God's message to us, God's character for us, can this apply to? Whatever measure you use, I'm going to use that much love, okay, for everything in my life. And God's saying, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to press it down, and put as much in there as I can, and I'm going to shake it together so we get all the space out of it. And then it's going to run over your lap. That's how much I'm going to give you. And there's two parts to this message. One is God's going to outdo us. If you want to, if you want to show grace and mercy and forgiveness for someone else, he's going to show more grace and mercy and forgiveness to you. If you're going to show that much love to someone else, he's going to show that much love to you. Okay? So it's a little bit of a challenge. But the other thing is this. If I know God's going to beat me exponentially, I'm going to use the biggest measure I can find. I'm going to love and I'm going to forgive because I want him to love and forgive me that much because i tell you what, I need it. 
right? Anybody else? I see you laughing, so I know you need it too. Yeah. It's true. It's true. You know, try to outdo God. How fun is that going to be? When no matter how generous you are, God's more generous than that. However much you love, forgive God is much better than that. That's fun. <coughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good life. Anyway, all that being said, what God really gets out of this and what we get out of this is God is pleased. God is pleased. And then he can use those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. You know, the, the, the notion of being in heaven playing a harp and just kind of lounging around in clouds, that's not how it works. God is going to give you fun, important, loving, just cool stuff to do in heaven. And you get to be there with him for this. So when he says, you've done great. I've entrusted you with a few things. I've given you time. and I've given you some talents. I've given you some money. Okay? Now you're here in your mind. I'm going to give you a lot more. So come and share in your master's happiness. And I'd love to end it there, but Paul wrote something that I think is just really captures this. This is, this is the stuff that I want to feel when I think that I am, when I'm done. Because this is, this is, we aren't there yet, are we? We're on this faith journey together. We got a ways to go. But, but Paul writes to 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I want to hear a couple things. I want to hear God say, well done, servant. Come and share. And I want to stand before him and I want to say, I've fought the good fight. I've done what you've asked me to do. I've kept the faith. All right? I'm ready to get what you which you've got promised to me. And there's nothing great about that. God is smiling during this. That's what we have to look forward to. So when I said five more talents, please, what can we do? What measure can we use? What more can we ask God to give us or ask us to do so we can double those efforts and see if we can outdo him? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you are so amazing. For a long, long time, you loved and you led and you taught and you and, and made promises and covenants with mankind. And it came to a point where you said, I need to send my son. I need to send my son and make a new covenant. Because these things I've asked you to do, these things that I've commanded you to do, you're not able to do it on your own. So I'm going to send my son and he's going to teach you and he's going to walk among you and he's going to pay the price and he's going to bridge that difference between, between what you can do and what I need you to do. And God says, if you will do that, if you will just turn your heart towards me, if you will love me, if you will repent your sins and ask for forgiveness, and if you will do this every single time that you need to do it, God says, I have so much planned for you. I've got the talents to give you. I've got time to give you. I've got, I've got financial resources to give you. And if you would use these things for me, watch what I do for you. Your God, as we prepare to resume meeting here on Sunday mornings regularly, 
Lord, I ask that you instill within us this burning desire to outdo you, to make you happy and proud of us. And Lord, let us finish our race however long we have on earth. Let us finish strong. Let us keep the faith so that we can claim that prize that you've got promised to each one of us. And Lord, I just want to close this prayer as I always do. Thankful for this church, this congregation, this building, the safe and warm, inviting place we have to gather, the people that, that meet here regularly, those who have come before, those who, who have not yet discovered us. And God, for every empty place and pew, let it serve as a reminder that there is room in this place for a work relationship with you. And whether they find it here in this particular congregation or elsewhere, Lord, my prayer is that every single person seeks you because we know when they do, they will find you. Lord, may all we do please you. May we leave this place changed for what we've heard and sung and prayed and worshiped today. God, we just thank you most for your son. 